0: Thank you, Yvette. Thank you, Mario. It was so exciting to see so many SIAC faces in that video. That was a great video. Uh, so encouraging. You know, God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, the Bible says. And He just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. And oftentimes He gives through us. And uh that was just really cool to see that video. Um, God has given us this day, it's a special gift. He's also given us a wonderful gift, the Bible, his word, and uh, I would like to read to you from Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord Do your children crawl in bed with you at midnight? Yeah, they did in those days. (laughs) He says, So do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is from the wonderful gift of God's word. And uh, may he bless it to our hearts.
1: Good morning. I have the pleasure today of introducing our speaker, uh, Pastor Reverend um, Alex Poon. Uh, he came to he attended Siak um, since he was a child and attended um, Surge and Gyro, the children's and youth ministries, even through um, young adult ministries. Um, and we're so pleased to have him here. When in 2012 he received a call into ministry and he attended Ambrose. And then um, he served at First Alliance in Calgary, and also at uh, Calgary Hope Community Church. And then in 2018, he went to Richmond Chinese Alliance Church to serve over there as pastor of Youth and and Young Adult Ministries. So we're so happy to have you here, Alex. Do you want to come up and we can pray for you before you begin? Father God, we just want to pray for Pastor Alex, and Lord, I just ask for your blessing on him. Jesus, that you would speak through him as he ministers to us today. And Father, this is a time of discernment, both for himself and Sadie, and for our church. And Father, there's one Holy Spirit, so I pray that you would speak to all our hearts in the same way. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
2: Hi, friends. It's good to be with you. Um, I just want to say thank you. First and foremost, this is the church that I love. Um, this is the church that called me into ministry. This is the church that invited me to know the name of Jesus, and so thank you. My favorite spot still is back there. <laughs> but here we are now. But this morning, I want to I wanna just ask you a question as we move into our time of focusing on God's word. God has taught us through his word Jesus is our common friend. He is our common denominator. And so let's put our heart and eyes on him and and what he has taught in his word. And so let me pray to begin our time together here. Would you join with me? Oh, our heavenly father, you're so good to us. You are our teacher, the one who wants us to know your heart You are our friend, the one who wants to be in relationship with us, who has made a way for that to be possible. When we are sinners, you saved us by your grace and reunited us with you. And so here we are now, God. Would you tune our attentions to you? Would you speak to us in beautiful and loving ways? Teach us. Teach us this moment of what to pray and how to pray and what prayer is and reason to pray. In your holy and precious name, Jesus, amen. Who taught you to pray? Do you remember that? Who taught you to pray? How did you learn how to pray? Who taught you? For me, it was my dad, my dad who also loved this church. I remember we gathered on my parents' bed um, every evening, or most weekend evenings, and he would teach me and my sister how to pray. I remember going to school afterwards and memorizing the shorthand Chinese prayer that I was supposed to say in front of every single meal, just just like all of you probably did. He gave me my first words to pray. He taught me just what prayer meant, and, and it was a conversation with God. and It was also a time of petitioning and lamenting or even asking for things. But I'll admit to you that prayer wasn't fully captured in my mind. It wasn't relational in that sense. It was just like every other kid, just thought it was saying a poem at one point or another. Well, this morning, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Now, this morning, ancient times, we're reading it again. But Jesus, he's teaching his disciples how to pray here. It was recorded for us by the Dr. Luke, who who records his gospel with full detail, recording what it is that Jesus taught his disciples to to pray. It begins with this. Lord, teach us to pray, his disciples ask. And then we move on into this parable that Jesus goes and shares with them after teaching them a shorthanded version of the Lord's Prayer. Why this parable and what is Jesus trying to say in the parable? And then Jesus will leave us with this, an encouragement, a hopeful resurrection hope for all of the situations in our lives. Jesus will go and remind us to ask, to seek, and to knock. Lord, teach us to pray. Never has it been recorded for us that the disciples asked Jesus how to do a whole host of any other things. Never has it been recorded or written down for us that that his disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to heal the sick, how to lead ministries, how to start a church, how to go and be compassionate to the broken. Yes, he taught them all of those things, but it was never recorded that the disciples walked up to Jesus one day and said, Lord, teach us, not even... Teach us how to preach a good message. But instead, what did they ask Jesus? As it is recorded, they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to to pray. Why is that? Is it because they've noticed the many times that Jesus has removed himself to be in communion with his Father, his Heavenly Father who sent him down to earth? And then when he came back, he would do things like have a, compassionate heart for those who were exiled he would come back and feed the multitude he would come back and display this overwhelming love to the people that he encountered and he would do this with just with just himself full of love and so what does jesus do he teaches him this prayer the shorthanded version of the prayer that we know as the lord's prayer and it's not complicated It's simple, really. In it, Jesus teaches us to depend on God for our daily bread. To lean on God's mercies, he forgives our sins. In turn, we will stir our hearts to go and forgive those who have wronged us as well. He will stir our hearts to go and love our neighbors with mercy too. Ask, ask then for God to keep you from your temptations. Did the disciples not know how to pray like this before? Have they not heard the many times that Jesus has gone out and prayed himself? At first glance, the prayer seems to be elementary, basic even. Oh, but there's so much more. And so come with me into this passage of Jesus' teaching. Come and let's notice a couple things that he talks about in the parable. And come notice the first line of this prayer that he preaches now. Father... Hallowed be your name. That's the first line in the prayer, and that means just so much more. Father, honor and bless your name. At the heart of every prayer is God's name. We are speaking to our God Almighty. Call upon it in all of your words of thanksgiving and in all of your words of of petition, or even in all your groaning that doesn't come with words. Call upon his name. He says to you, ask, ask in his name. For in his name, his kingdom will come. For in his name, he will give you your daily bread. For in his name, your sins will be forgiven. And in his name, you can ask for protection against temptations. Then, then Jesus talks about this beautiful parable. And this parable that you and I will relate to. Because it's ingrained in our culture. There's two things to note before we go into our parable. You have to see this parable from the eyes of an ancient Middle Eastern person living in that culture. And two virtues arise from this culture. First is hospitality. Hospitality, welcoming someone into your home. How many times have you shown up to a family dinner and on the table is just an abundance of food? and you were told already to take a takeout box with you for that dinner. Hospitality. Shame. Shame is a second virtue. How many times have you heard this triggering phrase that you got to save your face? We don't like that word, save face. Shame. And so with those two things in mind, with this historical context of his audience, then Jesus moves into this parable. Read it with me once more. Here it is. It starts like this. Which of you, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, Jesus says, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. What's Jesus saying in this parable? If his disciples are asking, Lord, teach us to pray, and Jesus is teaching his disciples a new skill, what do you think the heart's intention is behind this skill? Well, Jesus wants them to fall in love with this new skill of prayer with his old skill, but perhaps reigniting the reason to pray. Notice first that this whole thing is a question. Which of you it starts? As a commentator pointed out, the question has a nuanced meaning. It really means, could you imagine Could you imagine if a friend goes to you at midnight and and he says to you, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up and give you anything. Could you imagine that scenario happening? In our culture, we really can't, because it's ingrained to us as birth, as childhood, to be hospitable to those who welcome, our, who we welcome in, into our home. We cannot imagine shutting the door, keeping it closed, and sending our friend away. It would be unimaginable. You would open the door at midnight, in the middle of the night, and you would give to your friend whatever it is that he is asking of you. Just as it is unthinkable for you, it is unthinkable, I hope it's unthinkable for you, It's unthinkable for an ancient Middle East person. A culture driven by hospitality, motivated by shame. Shame. What is it? Let me tell you a story. I was in grade four. I was in grade four and I learned this really important lesson of what shame is. Shame. It's this word that describes the, the common rules of social standing. Reputation is attached to this shame. And so it was Thanksgiving. It was, um, it was a time of family gathering. And as it was tradition, we would separate, and or we would sit in a circle, sorry, and we would share everything that we were thankful for this year. And in the middle of the sharing, my aunt goes up, and she goes to the other room, and she comes back with two boxes. Two boxes, and she hands one to me, and then she hands one to my younger of three months cousin. John knows this story. Maybe, John, you were there. But we were sitting there, and she gives us two boxes, and she calls her son to first open his box. Halloween was just right around the corner. My aunt had taken up the skill of sewing, and so my cousin opened the box, and in it was this beautiful Batman costume. Very delightful. His mom had made him a Batman costume to go to Halloween in grade four. Me, again, a cousin of three months older, I opened up my box and in it was Robin. (laughs) She was sending me to school on October 31st in a Robin costume and my cousin in a Batman costume. My mom squeezed my hand. She was sitting beside me. And she said, thank your aunt for the gift. Her eyes meant meant seriousness, but what was she saying with her eyes? In her eyes, she was saying, "Do not shame your aunt, and if you do, if I say, you will come out of this life. <laughs> do not shame your aunt. Thank your aunt for the gift, because what is shame? Shame is this idea of social standing. Shame is this idea that there's rules in our reputation, that there are things that we ought and ought not to do. There are things that give us a reputation, a thing that tells the community who we are, what we stand for, and what we're all about. Shame can be this thing that is negative both and motivational towards this thing opposite called honor. Why am I talking about shame? Because as you'll see in verse 8, Jesus says after this terrible parable, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence. In some of your Bibles, you might not even see the word impudence. You might see the word persistency. As Daryl Johnson, who's a pastor in Vancouver, he pointed out, Western society have kind of done two things with this word impudence they have neglected the meaning of the first century word, the Greek word that translates in this word impudence. The word is anaidion. Anaidion. The first century Greek words means shamelessness or the avoidance of shame. But because shame is not something that we often find in our Western culture, we just don't know how to translate this word. And so, therefore, we have to go all the way back into the first century Greek to see what this word anidion truly means. Anidion. And the question becomes then, because of his impudence, he will get up. Who is facing anidion? Who is the he that is being talked about all throughout the parable? Well, I saw another pastor do this, so I'm going to do this too. I'm going to give the names, I'm going to give names to the he's that we find in this passage. I tell you, though, the guy who is in bed, we'll call him Mr. Sleepy. And the guy who was knocking at the door, well, we'll just call him Mr. Knocker. And to the guy who is visiting in the middle of the night, he's very important too. He sets the scene but we'll just call him Mr. Visitor. Mr. Knocker. It seems, though, what Jesus is saying, if Anideon truly translates to shamelessness, we need to ask the question, who is trying to avoid shame? Who is trying to avoid anideon? Remember this. Anideon is talking about the guy who is in bed. No, I didn't just say a nightie on. A nightie on. I get sating with that joke every single time. I've preached a sermon three times. A nightie on. A on is the avoidance of shame. Shame comes from failing the person's ex- group, or fa- failing to fulfill a group's expectation of you. Communication is indirect. Body language is everything. Shame is this negative quality that means a loss of your reputation. Shamelessness is that you have avoided it. Shame is not the internal feeling of guilt as if, oh, I feel so bad about myself. No. Shame is an external factor, something that someone else sees on you. That's why we call it losing face shame worries about what is said behind your back and in everything that people think about you and so you will in your avoidance of shame do everything say everything that avoids your loss of reputation And so who is trying to avoid shame who is trying to avoid shame why would mr. knocker be the one that might be trying to avoid shame, as some of our other Bibles have, have put it, when they translate impudence into persistency, which we argue that's not maybe the meaning of that word. Why would it be persistency, though? Mr. Knocker is trying to avoid shame, and shame might be perhaps the right word for a nightion because since when has the gospel been about someone's persistency that something answers the door? God answers the door. Since when has the formula to the gospel that Jesus comes and saves you with his blood and with his body ever since, when has it been all about you and what you can do in order to seek help from another person? Since when has prayer been something about like a faith formula kind of thing where we do something and God will listen to us? That's not the meaning of prayer, and that's not the meaning of the good news. The good news is you cannot do anything. And the good news is that Jesus plus nothing... Brings you into a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father who created you, who recognized you in your brokenness and went and sent His Son to lay down His life for you, to show you what love is. On the cross, Jesus took your place when you deserve to be there. On the cross, in all of your brokenness and all of your suffering, Jesus goes and says to you, I see you and I have come to save, obedient to my Father, not holding on to glory as something to be grasped onto. He lowered himself in this place, in this time of season where we call Christmas an incarnation. He took on flesh and blood because he loves and because the Father sent. He goes and takes your place on the cross and now you have freedom, restoration in your soul to know that your creator loves you, reunites himself with you by his effort and not of yours. And so Jesus is praying And Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And this word, shamelessness, is what he is trying to press into our hearts. This word meaning the avoidance of shame. And so while some of the Bibles might say persistency, the word is anidion, which means the avoidance of shame. Why is Jesus telling us this parable right after he has taught his disciples to pray? What is Jesus saying about prayer? Why, if he's teaching his disciples this new skill, is he going and teaching them a lesson about all of this parable, about finding someone in the middle of the night and knocking on them, and they will be answered? Why is Jesus talking about this? Because I think Jesus is trying to press in our hearts the person, the name that we speak at the beginning of our prayers. It's in his name that we pray it's in his name that we call upon it's in his name that we are led into prayer and what is jesus saying about the name of god that holds prayer in such high regard well jesus is alluding to this god's name comes up in the burning bush the moment where moses first encounters this god God goes and says to Moses, I have seen my people's affliction, their slavery, their oppression in Egypt, and I am coming down to save them, to rescue them. Moses, in his confusion with the sandals taken off in this holy place, watching this bush burn up, he goes, I've never heard of a God like this. Who are you? Tell me who it is that I go to Pharaoh and say who sent me. Tell me who it is that I'm supposed to tell my people who has sent me. What is your name? And God goes and delivers this name to him. And he says, I am who I am. In all of our language, in all of our words, in all of our dictionaries, we only have limited words to describe the glory of God. All of our words are going to be estimate. All of our words are going to be not okay to just capture this essence of who God is. So what does God do for us to tell us about who he is? well he gives us a ton of other names to really try to capture who he is and who he says he is we have names for god i am is the all sufficient one the one who no matter where or when he is present i am is the god of glory i am is also known as el shaddai our god almighty I am is also known as Elohim, our creator, mighty and strong. His name is also Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. His name is also Jehovah Rapha, our God, our healer. His name is Yahweh, our God, present, accessible, near to those who call on his name for deliverance, for protection, for comfort. I am who I am, has made to you promises through his name. And I am who I am, loves his name and is willing to protect it and to tell you who he is. He has built a reputation through his name. And so what is Jesus saying about all of this? Why is this parable so important that Mr. Knocker at the door would have his request answered for him? And what does this say about prayer? Jesus is saying, your request will be answered. Jesus is saying that it's because God loves his name and wants to protect his name that your request, pounding at his door, he will get up and he will answer you. Not because of your knocking at his door, but because God is aware of what he has said through his name. Mr. Knocker is calling out for help. Mr. Sleepy does not want to hear the next morning that he did not show hospitality to his friend in need now. And he does not want to go and deny the visitor who has just come into his town help. Mr. Sleepy doesn't want to wake up the next morning to hear that he was not hospitable. He doesn't want to be called out by his community, losing face to say that he was not helpful in the middle of the night in this dire kind of situation. And God... God doesn't want someone to say that, hey, I asked you for help, and I'm turning to my friends now, and I'm not receiving anything from you. God in his goodness is saying, Jesus is telling you the Father will listen to your prayers. And because he has made you a certain promise that he loves you, that he sent his son to die for you on the cross, God is going up to you and saying, I am who I am, and I have shown you who I am. I have written down my word for you. I have said everything to you, cover to cover, in this book that we call God's word. He is saying to you what he wants you to hear, to listen to, to have it sink down in your heart. His loving words of compassion. His disclosure to you of who he is. He's telling you, you don't need to be confused about the God that you worship, the God that you come in here and put your attention to every Sunday morning. God is saying, I will tell you who I am. It's right there. In his living word, the word that goes and speaks has spoken and is speaking again. And so Jesus says to you, in your prayers, call upon the name, of the one who will live by his name. I don't know what life is like for you. I've been gone for a little while. I know stories, glimpses, and pieces. But in your life, are you in a place where you were lost? In a place of hurting? In a place of brokenness, looking at your future, not knowing which path God is telling you to walk? Where areas of your life, what areas of your friend's life are you looking at and going, God, will you act? Will you move? Will you respond? Jesus is giving you a resurrection hope that he fills up his promises and he keeps them. He rose up Jesus from the dead to say that my promise is kept since the beginning. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. And so, he goes and says this to his disciples. In your prayers, ask, seek, knock. You'll be answered not because of your constant banging in his ear. He will answer you because he is the good father who looks at what you need. When you ask him for a fish, he will not give you a serpent. But if you ask for a serpent... He won't give it to you either. As in, the Father knows the gift that you need. What's the gift? He says it in verse 13. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The gift that you need, the cry of your heart in any prayer, is Jesus himself, is God himself, his presence Given to you in your weakness, you will find his strength. Given to you in your turmoil, you will find his goodness. Because you will find him, himself. The one that we call the paraclete. The one who comes alongside. The one who tells us what is right and wrong. The helper. The helper. God will give all of himself to you. God will full put himself on display for you. God would go and sin spent time with you in his compassionate love, just as Jesus walked towards those who were exiled. God will go and touch your life in a way that only he can. And so Jesus teaches his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus goes, here, here's some words, but here's who it is that will answer your door in your time of need because of who he is and not because of what you have done your persistency because he has made promises through his name and he's telling you this is who I am now someone who gives to you all of himself in his love by his goodness in his faithfulness fully on display for you on the cross of Jesus Christ where he shed his blood and broke his body he's our promise keeper would you live in the light of that truth that no matter what, Jesus is here for you, with you, and never against you. Teach us to pray, Father. I call on your name. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you teach us to pray and you're teaching us that you're so good that you will answer our prayers because of who you are, because of a on, because of your shame and loss and reputation that you will hold so near and dear. So, Father, tune our hearts to yours. In our prayers, remind us of who you are. In your prayers, gift us with your presence. In our prayers, Teach us what it is that we are doing and teach us over and over again who it is that we are calling upon. Your name, God. In your holy, precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen.